Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Our sermon passage this morning, as we continue to plod through 1 Corinthians, seems like we're, we're making some good progress so far. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Hear the word of God. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, and he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Lord, you have given us stewards of the mysteries of God. You have given us servants of Christ to minister to us, to water us with the water of your word. I pray that we will grow and increase in wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above and not from below. That all our doing will be done for the sake of your kingdom and your glory that we may inherit all things through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we pray. Amen. Now, Luke chapter 12 is where we find the parable of the good and evil stewards. Uh, A steward, if you aren't aware, a steward is either a slave or a paid servant who is tasked with keeping and managing a household for a master. Now, the master would often leave and go do business if he's wealthy enough to have a steward, to have a household he's in charge of. Usually, he has to leave and do some business, maybe some trade in other neighboring cities. And so he has to leave somebody in charge of the household, somebody in charge of the servants, in charge of the family, in charge of the the estate, all of those things, the family business. And they are to act on behalf of the master. They are to conduct business on behalf of the master in the markets, Or even in the courts. It is a terribly important job. A steward is a terribly important job. A steward is entrusted with a lot of responsibility. And a good steward is not only able to conduct the business of a master well. He doesn't just have to be business savvy. But he is to be a good representative of the master in all his affairs while he is away. And this includes character. He is not only... uh, supposed to to, to make those under the household obey the rules of the master, but also to keep those under his care 
under those rules and to try to increase the master's estate, to try to improve upon it as the master would try to improve upon it. He is to treat it as his own until the master comes home. And Jesus explains this parable of the watchful and dutiful steward to Peter. And he says these words, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So the wise steward is a faithful steward. He's faithful to his master, who does the work for his master in hopeful expectation of his return. And his trust and faithful work are not, are not without reward. What does the master say? He says he will give him all that he has. He is given all that the master possesses if he does his work faithfully. He's given authority over all that he owns. Jesus says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. This is wise words. These are wise words, right? A dutiful and faithful steward is given much. And this is a parable of the kingdom of God. That's really what Jesus is getting after. Jesus leaves the church in his ascension into heaven. But he leaves with a promise of his return. And empowered by his spirit, the church is charged to manage the kingdom of God on earth. The church is charged not just with managing this kingdom, but to do so faithfully. It's not just business smarts. It's not just understanding how it all operates. But it's to operate it faithfully, in accordance with the master's example of ruling. And there's a promise associated with this faithfulness, that we will be rulers in his kingdom, heirs to all that Jesus owns. All things will be ours because we belong to Jesus, and Jesus is the Son of God. Therefore, because we have all things in him, Do not boast over others in the church as if they lack something that you have. We belong to one another if we belong to Christ. And that means that we all belong to God and any praise that we desire should be from our master in heaven, not from men. When our master comes, praise will be on his lips for his faithful house. That's the promise of Jesus' return. But as Paul says, let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself. Stewards and members of the household of God can live as if the master is not coming back. As if the master will not judge the fruit of their faith. So like the unfaithful steward, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that this is our house now. That this is our house and we should run it the way that that we want to run it rather than the way that the master has taught us to run it. Only fools think this way. And Paul reminds us that the wisdom of this age is foolishness to God. If we want to become wise, if we want to live the way the Master lives and govern the way that he governs, we must first become a fool to the world. The way of the gospel flips the wisdom of the world upside down. The kingdom is only ours if we know that it is Christ's. So the foolish abuse the things of God for their own pleasure and their own gain. 
and not just food and drink, which we'll see later in, in the book of Corinthians. We'll see later that they do abuse food and drink as well. But not just food and drink, as the parable says, but doctrines. They abuse doctrines, they abuse people, and they even abuse teachers. And this is one of the sins of the Corinthians, that they use men who belong to Christ and the church for the sake of their own boasting, for the sake of their own acclaim. I belong to this teacher, I belong to that teacher. That says something about the one who doesn't belong to this teacher or belong to that teacher. This is the foolishness of the world. Once you are brought into the church, you belong to one another, and no factions should be set up against others. The body of Christ is not divided up. And God knows this worldly strategy of dividing and conquering. He's not surprised by the craftiness of men. Paul quotes Job chapter 5, and he also quotes Psalm 94. He says he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So we can see here that God's wisdom supersedes the wisdom of men. They aren't even comparable. He laughs at these, the, their quote-unquote craftiness. He sees it all. He's not surprised by any of it. And this is why the ways of the world are foolish. We think that we can do things another way. We think that we can do things the way that we want to do them rather than the way that God has taught us to use them. We think that we can use the gifts of God our way and that, and that we can get away with it, that we can benefit from it. But our Lord knows the thoughts of men and catches them in their craftiness, especially the Christian. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. God knows wherever we are. He knows the thoughts of our hearts, the intentions of our hearts. He knows the thoughts of our minds. He knows everything. We cannot hide or trick God. And because we can't trick God, no one should boast in the ways of the world, and specifically in the ways of men. Paul gives us another reason why we shouldn't boast in men. He says, besides, besides God knowing the craftiness of men, and besides his wisdom being far superior to the wisdom of men. He says this, For all things are yours. Because we all belong to Christ and Christ to God, all things are ours now. In Christ, they are now, now ours. So why would we attempt to pit Paul, for example, against Apollos or against Cephas, who is Peter, right? Why would we pit different teachers within the church against one another if all are ours? Why would we want to divide the body up by leaders when all the ministers of the church belong to us? And since all things are ours, we are not to boast in men. But Paul doesn't stop with just minister, ministers in Christ's church or elders in Christ's church. He goes on to list the world. That the ministers and elders of the church are, are not the only ones who belong to us. right? The world belongs to us. Life, death, things present, things to come. All are yours. The Father has entrusted th all things to His Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us elsewhere... For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's Galatians 3.26. So if all things are Christ's, because he is the son of God, 
then all things are ours because we are fellow heirs with Christ. And sonship is what Paul is really talking about when he says, you are Christ and Christ is God's. He's not saying that, that, that Jesus in his divine nature is, is sub, subordinate to the Father in heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus is the Son of God. He's, he has sonship with, the God, with, with God the Father. And because of this, because we are united to Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is the heir of all things, then we too are the heir of all things. All that Christ possesses, even his under-shepherds and ministers, belong to us. And this is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are counted as sons of God in the one Son. That's the hope of the gospel. When the Father looks on us, he sees his own Son. We are righteous because we are united to the righteous one. We are heirs of a kingdom because we are united to a king. We have life and death because we are united to the risen Christ. We have the whole world as our inheritance because we are united to the king of all kings and the ruler of the world. We have all wisdom and teaching of God because we are united to the true wisdom incarnate and have received the mind of Christ. If you are a Christian, all things are yours because all things are Christ's and Christ is the Son of God. And as sons, we are to use these gifts these gifts that we receive as heirs of the kingdom of God, with wisdom from above, not wisdom from below. It is not Paul versus Apollos, or Paul versus Cephas, or Apollos versus Cephas. All of these men were used for the edification of the body, for the growth of the kingdom, for the building up of the temple that we discussed last week. This is the church. All of these men are given for the growth of this church. So these men are not to be pitted against each other. On the contrary, they preach the same gospel, the same wisdom of God, Christ and Him crucified. Ministers and elders are for the benefit of the body, to help in Christ bringing many sons to glory. And Paul, after reminding the Corinthians of this truth, that all things are theirs, even those men, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, He decided to explain what ministers of the gospel are and what they are to be like. And this is an important logical step that Paul takes here. He had just talked about how we all belong to Christ and how how their sin was one of division over leaders. And now he is showing us that though the leaders belong to them, they are not given to them to serve their own interests or to give them praise. They don't serve the purposes of, of the house but the master of the house. So, so think about this. They don't, they don't serve the purposes of those who are members of the house. They serve the master of the house. That is their job. And this is important for two reasons. First, it shows that ministers are given for the good of the house. They belong to the house for their good. Because the good is outside of their own interests. It's outside of their own understanding of what their interests are. Because they serve the master of the house. Who knows all things and who is all goodness. So they belong to the house for their good. And second, it shows that their good is not, dem- is not determined by them. The ministers are judged by God and not by men. 
So these ministers are stewards of the mysteries of God for the glory of God. So what are these mysteries that Paul is speaking of? Well, they belong to God and not to men, first of all. So these mysteries, whatever they may be, cannot come from the wisdom of men. Right? They cannot come from below. They're spiritual men, not carnal. Right? So the mysteries of God are contained in the word of God. And they are communicated in the proclamation of that word and the administration of the sacraments, which are accompanied by the same word. So in other words, the contents of the gospel of Jesus Christ are the mysteries of God. And since the sacraments are connected to those mysteries, those who have been charged with administering the word of God are also authorized to administer the sacraments. These are the mysteries that the Apostle Paul says ministers and elders are to steward for their master and for the good of the house. So ministers are stewards of the mysteries of God and they are servants of Christ. We've established that. And this means that they are servants of Christ and not men. Again, in serving Christ, men will be served, right? So the goodness is outside of ourselves, it's outside of our understanding of what that goodness is. So when we serve Christ, we do serve one another. The two are not at odds here. Love God and love one another. But when those two are at odds, when somebody thinks that there is a good that the, that, uh, that the minister should afford to them, if it is at odds with the word of God, the word always wins out. So the Corinthians can't create these little groups or sects within the church based on ministers. If they do... They are communicating to the ministers that they are to serve their interests. But they have a higher calling. The people are not their masters. A judge is coming who will judge their work. And this means that these ministers must be faithful. This is what Paul says. These ministers must be faithful. They are to serve Christ and steward the mysteries of God. But they must be faithful in doing so. God has no patience for unfaithful stewards. And an unfaithful steward is one or, or, or those men who seek the approval of men or, or popularity, right? And Paul understood this. Unfaithful stewards are those who are lazy. Those who would not uh, do the hard things that God requires of them. For those who would rather sit and eat and drink, as the parable says, and act as if this is a, his own house. And Paul understood this as well. Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Now, Paul isn't saying this out of pride. This is the first thing we need to understand. He's not saying that you can't judge me. Uh, that, that's, that's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying this out of pride. He's not saying that he's untouchable or that he can't be taught or rebuked. He is saying that their judgments against him and for Apollos and for Cephas, for that matter, mean nothing because God will judge him and that is who he fears. So the judgments that they're speaking of are unjust judgments. That is what he is rejecting. And in this, we too can follow Paul's example. We should all be men and women who stand fast on the word of God in the face of, of uh, critical men. Those who criticize us 
for things that the Word does not criticize us for. And in those things, we should stand fast. We should fear God rather than men. We should follow Paul's example. And for this reason, Paul exhorts us. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Now, again, Paul is not telling us to never judge. Right? Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. He's not saying never judge. He's saying that if you judge, you too will be judged. Right? Elsewhere, we see that we are to judge rightly. We are to judge justly. So we are commanded to judge. But here Paul says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. We are to judge between true and false and right and wrong. But Paul's point is that the Corinthians are judging rashly and without godly foundation. This is the foundation of their divisions. They are judging not according to the word of God but according to their own interests. So he tells them to stop judging in this way. They are obviously bad judges if they are in some way pitting Paul against Apollos and Peter. If they think that they can criticize the teachings of Paul. Do not judge quickly and without good reason. And he tells them as well to wait until the Lord comes and exposes all darkness and hidden counsels of the hearts. So, in verse 3, Paul uses the word human court to describe the judgment of men according to the wisdom of men. But the word court here is actually a bad translation. It means day. That's what the, that's what the word means. It literally can be translated as day. The, day. the the day here is the day of men. When men have their day, you hear that, that, uh, um, that phrase all the time, have your day in court, Right? Day is associated with judgment in the Bible. In the Bible, the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. So the imagery here remains the same, the human day. But if you read it as day, you can see the juxtaposition, the day of men and the day of the Lord. Which day will we be looking forward to in faith in order to motivate our works? That's, the, that's what Paul is trying to communicate to us. Are you looking toward the day of men or the day of the Lord? Where is your hope? Is it in the approval and praise of men or the approval and praise of God? Certainly not the day of men, not the judgment of this age, but the day of the Lord. That is what should motivate our works in faith. Our gaze should be upward toward the heavens. We are spiritual beings not carnal. Our motivation should be the hope of our masters appearing on the last day. And that hope should motivate all that we do. And this, of course, does not mean that we care nothing of this world. In fact, the opposite is true. If we look upward toward the heavens and we live as spiritual men and women, it does not mean that we do not care about the world around us. All things belong to you, Paul says. Not just your minister, your elders, your deacons. They belong to you in that they are here to edify you, to help present you spotless on the day of judgment. But this world belongs to you. This world belongs to you. The relationships that you build, the work that you do, the home that you buy, the grass that you mow, the trees that you climb, kids. All of those things belong to you. The songs that you sing. The food that you eat and drink and enjoy. This world is your inheritance. 
It is given to you in the Son of God. Life and death are yours too. The joys of life are yours. The hope and death are yours. The promise of resurrection and eternal joy are yours. All things present and things to come. It all belongs to you because you belong to Christ. And Christ is the Son of God, King over all things. So will our lives be given wholly to the faithful service of our Master, Jesus Christ? Will we, with hopeful expectation, work diligently for the kingdom of God until the Master comes? Will all our work under heaven be directed toward heaven? Will we long for the praise of our Savior over the praise of men or for our own praise? We need to notice that there is one goal that Paul mentions here. One mission of the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified. This one goal secures the unity of the kingdom of God. So follow Paul's example and live like your work is worth something. And live with the expectation of God's praises, not men's. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So to become wise, we must first become fools. This is the way of the cross. And in the cross of Christ, in the cross, Christ overcame the world and inherited all things. In our union to that death and our life of faith, that leads to the same glory as our Lord Jesus. Live for the praise of God. Live as an heir of the kingdom of God, because if you are in Christ, all things are yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.